don't don't start again. Thank you. What is that? I have emojis on the screen. Okay, here we go. So good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, I'm still talking about Inmo, which means suchness, which is a fascicle by Dogen. And uh, this is the fifth talk so far. And um, let's see. So I'm gonna keep talking about that. Last time, if you may recall, in our last episode, we left a cliffhanger <laughs> with the with the sixth patriarch talking to two monks about whether the flag was oh the bell whether the wind was moving or the the bell was if you remember that so anyway um, they had we were having kind of an escalating heated discussion about this doctrinal point and the sixth patriarch set them straight so now we're on to the next part of the fascicle and in this uh, next section. Dogen starts talking about his understanding of the sixth ancestor's uh, life and how he uh, uh, woke up, how he achieved realization. So um, I'm going to tell you a little about, bit about the sixth ancestor, which comes from the transmission record of the transmission of the lamp, which is a very influential text in uh, Soto Zen, it's basically the lineage stories of Zen Buddhism, and it was written in the 11th century in China. Okay, so the sixth patriarch, as we are sixth ancestor, is Daijian Huining, and he lived from 638 to 713. And he's the sixth ancestor of Zen, which is counting down from Bodhidharma when he came from India to China. So Wei Ning's father died when he was three. And so he and his mom were basically left in poverty and he supported the two of them uh, by selling wood. So he was a wood chopper. He would go out into the forest and he would chop up wood and bring it to the marketplace and, and sell it. And he didn't know a thing about Buddhism. So that's important to the story here. So, this is kind of leading up. There's more story to his life, obviously, but I, for the purposes of this, I'm going to stop there. And um, one day when he was went to the market, he heard someone reciting the Diamond Sutra. And when he heard it, he immediately woke up. And here's what Dogen, how Dogen describes this. He said, in the past, the sixth ancestor had been a woodcutter in Jinjiao. He was thoroughly familiar with the mountains, thoroughly familiar with the waters. Although working away beneath the green pines, he had cut the root, which means he'd become realized. So although working away beneath the green pines, he had cut the root. How could he have known of the old teaching that illuminates the mind as one sits at ease by the bright window? So this is a... Zen colloquialism, which refers to monks studying the sutras. So how could he have known these teachings that um, someone who was more versed in Buddhism would know? So under, and then Dogen asks, under whom had he learned to cleanse himself? So he's asking who, who was his teacher? 
In the marketplace, he heard the sutra, not something he had expected, nor had urged, nor had been urged upon him by another. So no one else had told him about this. Little did he realize that the jewel attached to his clothing would illuminate heaven and earth. So I'll talk about what that is in a minute. Okay, in the transmission of the lamp stories, uh, we're told that Huining, after he heard the Diamond Sutra, talked to his mother, and after having done so, he left home and uh, went searching for a teacher. And in the course of this wandering, he ran into a nun named Wu Jinzang. And Wu Jingzheng was studying and very enthusiastic about another sutra, which is well known called the Nirvana Sutra. And when he heard, Huining heard her reciting some sections of the Nirvana Sutra, he explained to her what they meant. And so uh, she really wanted to talk to him about it. And she gave him some copy, you know, her copy of the Nirvana Sutra and said, well, would you read some of this section and tell me what you think? And he told her that he couldn't read. So at that point, she asked him, she said, um, how is it possible to understand the meaning without knowing the characters? So without knowing how to read, how is that possible? She asked him that. And then he replied, the wonderful principle of all the Buddhas is not dependent on the written word. The wonderful principle of all the Buddhas is not dependent upon the written word. So that was his response. So how is it that we can understand the teachings without uh, knowing the word? So without knowing them, in his case, he was illiterate, but also there was this meaning here of saying, you know, you don't, you don't have to do maybe all the study. This isn't necessarily, I mean, we do the study, but it is possible to understand without that. So, so, so how was Pei Wei Ning able to cut the root, as Dogen says, while working in the woods, cutting firewood. And also the other question is, what was the jewel in his robe? So these are important questions that we should examine. Essentially, Waning had been so present in his life that he heard the teachings spoken to him by the natural world. Today, the natural world is speaking to us in a way that we don't normally hear, which is rain, right? We're listening to the rain and the sound of cars driving through on the wet road. So he heard these teachings as spoken to him by the natural world. And when he understood, when he heard the Diamond Sutra, immediately he made that connection between the two. And he understood the intimacy of his heart, mind, shin, and self and other. And when that arose for him and the, what that means, what that's about, he had this immediate opening and great insight. So this is our true state. What he understood was our true state and uh, that we may understand through paying attention to our life, right? If we truly pay attention to our life. And I wanna to return to this point in a minute about how we might do that. So then Dogen sums up this paragraph when he says, little did he realize that the jewel attached to his clothing would illuminate heaven and earth. Little did he 
know that the jewel attached to his clothing would illuminate heaven and earth. So this is a reference to a story in the Lotus Sutra, which is another big sutra for us in, in Soto Zen. Dogen quotes the Lotus Sutra a lot. All right, in the Lotus Sutra, it tells a story about a guy who got drunk at a wealthy friend's house. And while he was out cold, his friend went and took a really uh, valuable jewel and sewed it into the hem of his robe. So he didn't know it was there. And when he woke up, he leaves and he's wandering around. So clearly the he did not have a lot of wealth himself, but the wealthy man who he's staying with did. So it's not as if he had a lot of money himself. He didn't. He was fairly poor and he didn't know that there was this jewel in his robe. And so he leaves the house when he wakes up, his friend's house, and he's just kind of trying to get by. You know, he's trying to like figure out how to get by in his life. And uh, the sutra says he is satisfied if he just obtains a meager amount. He was satisfied if he just obtained a meager amount. And then by happenstance, he meets this guy again, this wealthy friend of his. And um, the friend tells him that he's sewn this priceless gem into his robe. He says, well, you didn't know all the time. Like I you know, left you a ruby or something in your robe and you could have been living the high life this whole time and you didn't realize it. So um, the point of the story is that we all have this jewel. We all have this jewel as our body mind. And it's not something sewn into our clothes. It's our very skin, flesh, bones, and marrow. He and we have this nature of a Buddha already. This is our essential nature, is the nature of having the Buddha nature. So um, we should think about Buddha nature as manifesting as our own life, our own being, our essence, and our body-mind. And we shouldn't be satisfied with kind of living this meager spiritual life that we might be living um, with only a little wisdom. So um, in the case of Weining, of course, he too had this jewel sewn in the hem of his robe. And when he heard the Diamond Sutra recited at the marketplace, he fully realized his Buddha nature. He made that connection and had this visceral response and fully realized and understood. And what he had cultivated while cutting wood in the forest was this deep understanding of his connection with all of reality's functioning. So he must have had an intimate connection with the trees that he was cutting down, right? And, and, uh, he, maybe he said to the trees, he said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that I have to cut you down. And, uh, you know, but I need to support my mother. And uh, please know how much gratitude I have for your life that you're giving me or the wood that you're giving me. Thank you for your help. So maybe he said that to the trees. Maybe he felt that in his heart when he was cutting down the trees for his livelihood. So. Um, as he lived this life as a woodcutter, he became more centered and he realized, had more realization about what we would say is, is the Buddha way. And that this inherently was something that he 
Of course, we already are this thing. And so as we allow ourselves to really pay attention and ground ourselves in our lives, we start to see that functioning in a way that, that we might not see it otherwise. Um, now, you know, you can understand this as a specifically Buddhist teaching, or you can understand it in a broader context if you want to. Uh, but that's that's what it is from a Buddhist perspective. Um, personally, I find it really heartening to know that this is the true nature of all beings. I find it heartening to think that that we all have the capacity to wake up. Um, I don't find it particularly helpful to become depressed or kind of paralyzed by the state of the world. Um, it's our bodhisattva practice to do our best to cultivate our own wisdom, skillful means, compassion. Think of what this world would be like if that did not exist, right? If that was not functioning. So um, I try not to get depressed, as I said, or paralyzed by what's going on in our world. So maybe it's hard to have faith in this teaching right now that all beings are Buddha nature. Maybe it's hard to find that kind of faith in that. But I encourage you to do that, even if it's a stretch for you. So please see in yourself and others this jewel of Buddha nature that we are. And it's incumbent upon all of us that we strive to be kind to ourselves, that we be kind to others, and that we cultivate and grow this wisdom. So that very activity is what motivates us to be our best selves. I think that's the bodhisattva path. We are motivated to be our best selves from this point of view. So you know that, have faith in, investigate, that this jewel actually does exist for all beings. That is, it is the essence of your own body and mind and the body and mind of others. Okay, so what I wanna talk about now is how we, going back to this theme of the sixth patriarch waking up through being a woodcutter and being out in the woods. So I wanna to return to this theme of centering our life by attending to the natural world or attending to the myriad things arising in our present moment. So we're told that that is how Weining cut the root as Dogen puts it, or how he found this essential meaning of his life. So according to Dogen, he said in this paragraph of Inmo, he says that this was happening because Huining was thoroughly familiar with the mountains and thoroughly familiar with the waters. So now Dogen wrote a couple of fascicles about mountains and waters. And uh, in these teachings, he said in one fascicle, the mountains and water of the present are the realization of the words of eternal Buddhas. The mountains and waters of the present are the realization of the words of eternal Buddhas. And in another fascicle, he quotes the words of a Chinese poet and a Buddhist practitioner whose name was Toba, 
And here's what Toba said. He said to his teacher, Toba said to his teacher, he said, the voices of the river valley are the Buddha's wide and long tongue. The voices of the river valleys are the Buddha's wide and long tongue. The Buddha's tongue is wide and long because the Buddha can preach or talk about the Dharma and it's wide and long because all beings who hear him understand what's said. So he says, the voices of the river valley are the Buddha's wide and long tongue. The form of the mountains is nothing other than his pure body. Through the night, 84,000 verses. Through the night, 84,000 verses. These, these are the 84,000 verses of the Dharma being spoken moment to moment to moment. And maybe he says through the night because for us it's hidden. We don't always see it, so it seems dark. But actually, it's this preaching is going on continuously. It is the continuous foreground, background essence of the self, of all beings. So um, I'm actually really interested in this idea, particularly right now. I've been interested in it for a while, maybe my whole life, actually, this, this, about this teaching. So, you know, at its heart, it's about stopping our busy life and settling into listening to what's happening around us, just what's happening around us. And you can, that what's happening can be just sitting in your garden or being at a meeting and actually paying attention to what's happening. So in this story about Wei Ning's life, Wei Ning has awakened to his true nature in a way that's unknown to him. He doesn't know what's happened until somehow it's triggered through hearing of the Diamond Sutra, but he's already got it. But he's just unaware of this jewel in the hem of his robe. So he doesn't, actively in the sense of he doesn't knowingly are put into words or characters this this experience that he's having of the sound of the valley streams of the buddha's wide and broad tongue he doesn't see the blue mountains walking but but he is the mountains and rivers as he goes about his life as the woodcutter he is already that As a woodsman, he heard the 84,000 verses. So I was thinking about contemporary writers and um, ones that, that I like. And I remember Annie um, Dillard, remember Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, written back in the 80s, I think. No, maybe late 80s. No, when Randy? Earlier. I Earlier. Think, I think even in the 70s. In the 70s, she won the Pulitzer Prize for this book. And um, here's what she says about seeing. She says, um, the secret of seeing is then the pearl. The secret of seeing is then the pearl of great price. Although the pearl may be found, it may not be sought. Although the pearl may be found, it may not be sought. Although it comes to those who wait for it, it is always, even to the most practiced and adept, 
a gift and a total surprise. I cannot cause light. The most I can do is to try to put myself in the path of its beam. It is possible in deep space to sail on the solar wind. Isn't that a great image? It is possible in deep space to sail on the solar wind. Light, be it particle or wave, has force. You rig a great sail and go. The secret of seeing is to sail on the solar wind. Hone and spread your spirit till you yourself are a sail, wedded, translucent, broadside to the merest puff. Broadside to the merest puff. So in Soto Zen, this seeing is achieved by putting out the sail of Zazen. In Zazen, we listen to the wind, the birds, and without knowing, we begin to see our life differently in a more and be more fully in our life as it is presencing as us and around us. So we cannot have this experience through the gaining idea that we're trying to get realization. We're trying to get something by sitting zazen. We just sit and we just stay aware and attentive to our current situation. That's what we're doing when we're engaging in zazen. And when we're, this actually happens to us, this is a kind of open, non-verbal query. It's a question. It's a posing of oneself. It's a willingness to be in the mind of inquiry without articulating to ourselves the inquiry in the process of doing it. This willingness to actually sit in the middle of this, of the 84,000 myriad things, the 84,000 verses. So then we begin to hear the 84,000 verses in this willingness to be open to this. So this is why Zaza is important. This is why it's important to let our minds go and let them, our intellectual voice in our heads, letting it go and letting it recede to the background. We sit and we listen, but we are not listening to our own thoughts. We don't invite them to tea, as Suzuki Roshi says. That's not what we're doing when we're sitting zazen. All we, if all we're doing is listening to our own mind, that's all we're doing in zazen, then we cannot rig this great sail that Annie Dillard talks about. We cannot catch the solar wind. We cannot orient ourselves to that puff that she so elegantly expresses. Our sail, our boat is going to be dead in the water. Now, we probably, most of us, I know I wasn't this way this morning for the 20 minutes that I was sitting, sitting Zazen. You know, we're, we can't, most of us, concentrate for 40 minutes straight doing this. But we can put our effort to coming back from the mind theater, putting, coming back to this kind of little play that we've got going on in our heads that we're listening to and responding to. As soon as we realize that that's happening, come back and come back and listen, listen to the rain, come back and listen to the traffic without judgment, 
Come back and listen to whatever environment you're in. Come back and listen to the speaker who is speaking as opposed to the speaker in your head. So you want to hear the mountains and the rivers, the song of the mountains and rivers. You want to be able to understand this long tongue of the Buddha speaking our life's sutra. This is our life's sutra that is being these 84,000 verses. So if we only listen to our inner dialogue, we can't hear what's being said by the, the sound and the song of the myriad things preaching the Dharma, speaking to us. So Hui Ning was able to do this out in nature when he was cutting wood, unbeknownst to him. Uh, I would say for the most part in Capitola, here we are in the middle of our urban lives, um, we probably are not automatically having this kind of experience. Of course, it's going on around us all the time. And our bodies are responding all the time. So sitting zazen is this way that we can return, we can consciously return to this activity of being present for uh, these verses of nature, Buddha nature being spoken to us. This is the Dharma gate to cutting the root that Dogen is talking about. So if we fully, if we can fully, or when we fully uh, attend in Zazen, we can find this experience that Annie Dillard is talking about. We can engage the mountains and rivers. So I want to encourage all of us to kind of rededicate our effort to sitting Zazen, uh, to doing the practice. And if you do it at home for 10 minutes, that's great. That's what, you know, if you can spend 10 minutes really doing this practice, that's great. Come to the Zaza and do 40 minutes. Maybe you get 10 minutes of doing this practice out of the 40. <laughs> you know, you come and, and, and do the practice there. It is efficacious to sit with other people because it's a mandala of, uh, a mandala that expresses this, intimacy of the continuous practice. But, you know, we can't always do that. And if you zoom in, then we're still doing it with each other. But even if you don't zoom in, you know, if you're sitting by yourself for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever, and especially in the morning, the chances are good that there are thousands of people in the world sitting Zazen with you at the same time, right? Because there are a lot of practitioners out there meditating. So it really is still this great Sangha. Maybe that's the solar wind, right, happening. And uh, so anyway, uh, we have to make this effort to keep listening to the 84,000 verses, the sounds of the teachings. And then as we do that, we have a deeper understanding. So again, I'll remind you of what Tobo said. The voices of the river valley are the Buddha's wide and long tongue. The form of the mountains is nothing other than his pure body. Through the night, 84,000 verses. So that's the essence of our practice. So I wanna encourage all of us to really attend to this practice, make that effort. And um, remind us that we all have this jewel 
of Buddha nature, of Buddhahood. It's not separate for it. And um, when we do this, as Dogen would say, we are such a person. Thank you very much. <laughs>